Welcome to Journey in the Word with Pastor Randy Mosher of Calvary Chapel of the Cumberland Valley. We are located in Hagerstown, Maryland. Please join us every weekday as our pastor takes us verse by verse through a book of the Bible. Today, we're picking up in the Gospel of Luke, where the writer emphasizes the ministry that Jesus had to the poor and hurting and our need for a Savior. All of these being validated by the Old Testament prophecies about Christ. So if you're able, grab your Bibles and join us as we continue our journey in the Word. And this means that you need to know the difference between traditions and God's Word. And many people do not because they either, number one, don't know what God's Word says, or whether or not a tradition they follow is actually God's Word. They just don't know God's Word, so they can't discern it. Or they choose to ignore what God's Word says because they're more comfortable with their tradition that they've been taught, which was the case with the Pharisees. They knew the Word of God. They knew it. But they were choosing to follow their tradition, to reject the Word of God in favor of the traditions because it was what was more comfortable to them, what they were used to, what they were always taught. Look, you need to know God's word, which has been spoken and given to you in the scriptures, and you need to obey it, even if it means you have to forgo your tradition. Remember, traditions are not the word of God. They are not the word of God, even though some people may try to present them to you that way. Traditions are not the word of God. Know the difference and always give priority to God's word over the traditions that you've been taught. Now, I hope that those of you that follow along with our teachings or you're part of this fellowship, that over the years, the Lord is helping you discern those things. Not because I stand up here and say, well, this is a tradition and this is the word of God. But the more time you spend in God's word, the more you should be able to discern those things. Because it becomes stark clear. You begin to see that, hey, this is just a practice somebody came up with that men came up with. But this is the word of God. And again, traditions are not always bad. They're not always wrong, but they can never take priority over the word of God. In Elizabeth's life, the tradition was you name your child after the dad, your firstborn. Elizabeth says, "Uh -uh. I was told by God to name him John. God's word was John. I'm going to obey God's word. That should be our hearts as well, folks. Look on at verse 61. But they said to her, there is no one among your relatives who's called by this name. So they made signs to his father what he would have him called. The crowd in complete disbelief, and this is complete disbelief of what Elizabeth is about to do, since it all doesn't line up at all with their tradition, they now to turn to John, right? Not John, I'm sorry, Zacharias. They now turn to her husband, Zacharias, and, and they question him about it. And the clear indication here is that they're trying to get him to set her straight and override her on this. I mean, this woman's breaking tradition, Zacharias. Of course he's going to be named after you. Look, don't be surprised that as you submit to and you obey God's word in your life that don't be surprised that not everyone is going to understand that. And don't be surprised when people don't agree with what you're doing. You know, people around you and sometimes even your family members, sometimes your family members can be the worst. No, no offense to any of my family members who are listening today. Uh, I just speak from my own experience with my own mom. Sometimes you can be so steeped in tradition that you have no concept uh, of, they have no concept as to why you would want to break that tradition. You've grown up this way. You know, I remember when I first came and placed my faith in Christ, I grew up in church, but I'd never 
faith, placed my faith in Christ till I was 18 years old and in the army. When I first placed my faith in Christ, how I, I began to learn the scriptures and I began to do things that the scriptures were commanding me to do, but it rubbed up against a lot of the traditions that I'd grown up with, that I'd been taught with, even in some of the churches where it was being presented as though this is the word of God, when in fact it wasn't even close to being the word of God. But those traditions, a lot of them were really near and dear to my mom's heart. And instead of trying to understand why I was not following those traditions, she and others, even some of my relatives, would often mock me. And they'd even try to pressure me to abandon my scriptural convictions and come back to the traditions where I belonged. You know, I remember one of my mom's favorite statements that she would use to try to shame me was, you know, my dad died when I was 12, so you have to have that context. But she would say, if your father knew what you were doing, he'd roll over in his grave. We didn't raise you this way. <laughs> wow. That was painful. It was painful because it forced me to continually to confront what it is I'm committed to and how much was I willing to lose to stand firm in those convictions. I loved my mom and I loved my family members. But I also loved Jesus and I loved his word. But these moments forced me to confront which I loved more. And in the end, I chose Jesus. And as such, I had to be obedient to his word, no matter what the cost might be. If his word conflicted with the tradition, his word would get priority. Now, I think this is exactly what Jesus had in mind when he said to his disciples in Matthew chapter 10, beginning in verse 34, through verse 39, Matthew chapter 10, verse 34, do not think that I came to bring peace on earth. I didn't come to bring peace, but a sword. Wow. Those of you who came to faith, maybe in families that the gospel was never preached, believed, followed, you probably know well what Jesus is talking about here because it creates conflict. It creates division. You're choosing to follow Jesus and his ways versus the stuff in the traditions of your family life. He says in verse 35, I have come to set a man against his father, a daughter against their mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's enemies will be those of his own household. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He who finds his life will lose it. He who loses his life for my sake will find it. Now look. People read that verse and they go, well, Jesus is saying that I got to hate my mom and I got to hate my, my father-in-law and my mother-in-law and I got to hate my brother and my sister. That's not what he's saying. This is, this is a statement of prioritization. This is a statement of prioritization that Jesus is making. And he's saying, look, if you're mine, if you're true, if you're following me, then I and my word needs to be your priority. And if that priority conflicts up against what others believe, what will you choose? If you choose to follow the ways of everyone else and not me, then you're not worthy of me. See, that's all he's saying. We know he's not saying hate your, your mother or your father because that would go against the commandments that we're to honor our parents. But honoring our parents doesn't mean that we should abandon the word of God in doing that. This is not an easy place to be. When you're faced with these decisions and choices, it's not an easy place to be, but it is the cost of discipleship. 
not everyone will understand why you're breaking tradition. And this is especially true if you have wrongly, or if those people have wrongly equated those traditions with the word of God. But you, knowing the difference, must always be true to God's word as it's been given to you, even if it means people won't fully understand or appreciate the choice that you're making. And one more thing. Don't get caught up in the trap of thinking that somehow if you just keep the tradition over God's word, you'll still be doing a good thing because it will open up the doors for you to better witness to those who are caught up in the traditions. Look, I don't disagree that there are times when when we should be all things to all men, but it's never the time to be all things to all men when a tradition causes you to deny or to forego or to compromise a clear word given to you in God's word, a clear command given to you in God's word. When tradition brushes up against God's word, you have a choice to make. And Jesus would say, choose my word. Choose my word above all things. If you love me, choose my word. Elizabeth does this. Elizabeth does this. Look on in verse 63. And he asked for a writing tablet, this is Zacharias, and wrote saying, his name is John. So they all marveled. Immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed and he spoke praising God. So now as the crowd now turns to to John for his verdict on this issue, John, without any hesitation, confirms that the baby's name will be, I'm sorry, Zacharias. I keep calling Zacharias John. Zacharias, without any hesitation, confirms that the baby's name will be John. And as soon as he does this, note three things that happen. Number one, the crowd marvels. The crowd marvels. Secondly, God reverses Zacharias' mute condition. He's able to speak again. And finally, number three, as Zacharias is set free to speak, the first thing he does is he praises the Lord. The crowd marvels. The crowd marvels. Marvels at what? You know, marveling at the fact that both John and Zacharias and Elizabeth are determined to go against tradition. They're marveling at the fact that both of them are breaking tradition and going this direction. You know, they're going, going against tradition will oftentimes cause people to marvel because people by nature don't break tradition. And when people marvel, like I said before, it's not always in a good way. So you need to expect that when your obedience to God brushes up against the longstanding beliefs and traditions of others, it's going to cause a response. And sometimes people are simply going to marvel. Sometimes it'll be a good marveling, and sometimes it'll be bad. Secondly, God reverses Zacharias' muted condition. Hmm, I found this one interesting. Zacharias, in this moment, he unhesitatingly obeys God's word as it was given to him. And God now reverses the condition that resulted from his initial unbelief. Remember, the only reason that Zacharias is mute is because God made him that way, not just as a sign, but we were told he did it because Zacharias did not believe what God was telling him because of Zacharias's unbelief. And so as a result, God makes Zacharias mute until the event occurred so that he would know that God, that God's word was true and it should be believed, has been, is, and always will be. Wanted him to know that. And I think here's the truth for all of us to grasp. When we choose to believe God and to take him at his word, obeying him what he's asked of us, God is then in a position 
to set us free from the things that limit us and hold us in bondage. It's when he has that opportunity to do that. He opens our mouths. He opens our eyes. He opens our ears. He produces a freeing effect in our lives that cannot without faith and obedience otherwise be produced. Imagine for a moment, you're in Zacharias's shoes. And for nine months, you haven't been able to talk. I mean, just imagine that. You know, I, I remember having a cold that caused me to lose my voice for several weeks. And, and although I'm sure Cindy enjoyed that quiet, I found it really frustrating and binding. <laughs> and when I got that voice back, man, I felt like I had just been set free from prison. So imagine what Zacharias must have felt like after nine months of forced silence, now being able to speak again. But what's enabled to ha- this to happen is his belief in obedience. It's his belief in obedience, no hesitation, just an immediate faith-filled response. His name is John. And by confirming his name, what Zacharias is doing is he's going on record and indicating that he was now personally embracing what God had told him in the first place, except this time he's not wavering in his belief whatsoever. And in that moment, it didn't matter to him what everyone else thought. He could have cared less about their traditions. He didn't even think about it. All that mattered was that he believed God and wanted to do what God had told him to do. And as he did that, God was able to set him free. Folks, disbelief leads to bondage. Let me say that again. Disbelief leads to bondage. But belief, backed with obedience... True belief is always backed by obedience, always leads to freedom. Belief backed by obedience always leads to freedom. Zacharias experienced freedom as he chose to believe and obey. And I'm just going to tell you, so too will we, as we choose to believe and to obey. And, And finally, number three, as Zacharias is set free to speak, the first and most immediate thing he does is he begins to praise the Lord. He begins praising God. Now, I I don't believe that Zacharias is praising God because he's grateful for the restoration of his voice. Now, I'm sure that there's a part of that. He's happy to have his voice back. But this is a praise that's springing from the depth of his understanding of the remarkable thing that God is doing through him and through Elizabeth and through Mary. He's rising above his own circumstances, and he's praising God on something on a far greater scale. Zacharias, in this moment, because of his belief, he gets it, and he's clearly seeing what God is doing, and he cannot help but to praise God for it. Now, I point that out, and I make that distinction because far too often we are quick to recognize things that God does for us personally, the things that he's delivering us from, the healings and the restorations that he's bringing to our lives individually, but we fail to grasp the significance of what he's doing on a much larger scale. We get too wrapped up in our own lives that we often miss the greater work and blessings that God is bestowing as he untolds his, his, unfolds his greater plans. Zacharias is looking far in this moment, far beyond his own personal life. Yeah, it was probably a relief to finally be able to talk again without having to write things down all the time. And yeah, he was probably really happy about not being treated as though he were deaf as well as being, you know, unable to, to, you know, to speak. (laughs) You'll note that the previous verse told us that the people made signs at him. 
right? When, when, when they asked about the baby's name, which means that they were treating him as though he were deaf and not just a mute. That had to be frustrating to him. And he had to be happy to be out from underneath all of that. But despite all of these annoyances and the upending of his life from being mute that it caused for Zacharias, while I'm sure he was very grateful to the Lord to have his life restored again, his praise is flowing as a result of much greater things. Zacharias was looking beyond his own situation and he was praising the Lord for the greater work that he now knew that the Lord was doing on behalf of not just him and his family, but on behalf of the whole nation and really on behalf of the whole world. You know, we can be very self-absorbed as Christians. I said to the group this morning, I won't say we, maybe I should say I, but the truth is, we can be very self-absorbed as Christians. And, and I believe that's really true for us as American Christians. I mean, we make spirituality and the Lord's work in our lives far too much about us and our comfort instead of thinking about and making it about God and his greater plan and workings on behalf of mankind as a whole. Oh, we should praise him for the things he, he does specifically for us. We should praise him even more for what we know he's doing in our world. If we did that more, if we did that more, I truly believe our perspective of things would so radically change, be so radically different. And God would be much larger and, and, and in our spirituality and in our theology, in our view. I do believe that as we begin to place our faith in him, as we take our stand of faith in him, that this becomes a natural extension of it. We do begin to look beyond ourselves and to much things in a much bigger perspective. But clearly it's what's happening with Zacharias in this moment. May it happen with us as well. So to sum all of this up, when your obedience to God goes against tradition, expect people to marvel. And their marveling won't always be in a good sense. <laughs> when you choose to believe God and to obediently take him at his word, know that you will be in a position for God to set you free from the limitations and the bondage is that disbelief may have caused in your life or can cause in your life. And when you begin to see and praise God for the things he's doing that go far beyond your life personally, when you begin to praise him for the plan he's working out in the world and you begin to see things from a different perspective of what he's doing on a larger scale, God will become greater in your spiritual sight than he has ever been before. Oh, how we need that today in our lives. Look at verse 65. Verse 65. Then fear came on all who dwelt around them. And all these sayings were discussed throughout all the hill country of Judea. And all those who heard him or heard them kept them in their hearts saying, what kind of child will this be? And the hand of the Lord was with him. This is a really cool portion of the passage. And I'll save it till we pick up next time. So just read there. Go ahead and read ahead. We'll continue on next time when we gather. But before we close this morning, I want to take a moment for us to just think on some things in regard to what we're studying here. You know, we're looking at the Gospels, right? In, in Ephesians chapter 6, 
In Ephesians chapter 6, and you guys are probably, should be familiar with this, but in, in Ephesians chapter 6, beginning at four, verse 14, it begins to talk about our, our, our equipping for spiritual warfare. But listen to what it says here. In Ephesians chapter 6, beginning in verse 14, Stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. You know, as we're digging into the Gospels, there, there is no better time for us to be doing this. Looking at John the Baptist, looking at Elizabeth and Zacharias, looking at Mary and Joseph, looking at Jesus, and, and soon looking at the disciples. Because the Gospels are all about good news. It's the good news. It literally means good news. And here we're told that the Gospel is about peace. And we're to shot our feet with the gospel of peace. And we live in a world right now that is really lacking peace. Maybe some of you, because of things that are happening in this world, are lacking peace. The gospel is the solution to our peace. Because the gospel is about what Jesus has done for us. Jesus having come into this world on behalf of you and me, on behalf of sinful man, taking our place, taking the punishment that was due upon us, the pure and spotless Lamb of God taking our sins upon himself so that we could be set free, so that we could experience peace in our lives. Yeah, even peace in a world that seems to go crazy at times. Yeah, peace in a, in a world that seems like the storms are coming one after the other. Yeah, peace. And not only that, we're called to shot our feet with the gospel of peace because our feet are what take us places, which means that you and I, in this time in which we live, are called to take this very gospel that we're studying right now. And, and the message of the gospel, of all the gospels, of the scripture as a whole about Jesus, and to take it to people so that they could find peace. But how will they find peace if we don't have it? Now, look, maybe this morning you're sitting here and you don't have peace because you've never placed your faith in Jesus Christ. Maybe you know about Jesus, you know things about Jesus, but like me, for the first 18 years of my life, you didn't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. You liked some of the things about him, some of the things he said, but you didn't understand how it really pertained to you. You didn't recognize your sinfulness as a human being or repented of it. If you've not done that, then you're not going to have peace. Oh, you might find temporary peace in things that you'll fill your life with, but peace won't last. Oh, the storms will come, and maybe you can convince yourself to have peace in the storm for a season, but sooner or later, the storm's going to overtake you, and your peace will be lacking. Only faith in Christ, in his finished work, committing your life to him, giving your life to him, will give you that peace that you are lacking right now. If that's you, I would just encourage you this morning, there's no magic formula to the prayer, but to simply get before the Lord right now in the quietness of your own heart before we commune and to just tell the Lord, I, I recognize I'm a sinner and I recognize, Lord, I can't deliver myself of my own sin. Mary couldn't deliver herself. She looked for a savior. I'm looking for a savior too. And I realize that savior is Jesus. And I believe, Jesus, that what you did for me on the cross was sufficient that it paid the price and the penalty for my sin. And that, Lord, I believe that as I place my faith in you, you will keep the promises that you've made to me. You will call me your own. You will call me your child. 
you will save me and you will give me eternal life. You can put that in your own words. Make him your Lord today. Make him your Savior. Make him your only God. That's the one requirement he makes. It can't be Jesus plus others. It's Jesus plus none. If you're willing to do that, he's willing to meet you and to give you his peace. And maybe this morning you're sitting here and you are a believer and you just don't have peace right now. Man, I can just tell you this. If you don't have peace right now, it's because your eyes are on the storms and not on the one who the gospel is about. Your eyes are not on the gospel. You're like Peter, who, as he stepped out of the boat in the midst of the storm, when Jesus commanded him to come to him, he was able to walk on the water as he looked at Jesus. But the moment his eyes left Jesus, the storms consumed him and he began to sink. But Jesus didn't leave. He was still there reaching out a hand, waiting for Jesus, for Peter to realize he needed that hand to pull him up. He was waiting for Peter's gaze to come back upon him. And so too this morning, if you're struggling with peace, it's time to look to the one who the gospel is about. It's time to put your focus back on Jesus and not the events of the world and not what's happening even necessarily in your life at this moment. But to put your eyes on Jesus, will it dissipate the storm as you do that? No, but it will most certainly begin to dissipate the storm in your heart as Christ gives you the peace that passes all understanding. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Journey in the Word, a verse-by-verse teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel of the Cumberland Valley. If you would like to listen to more teachings or find out more information about us, go to www.journeyintheword.org. That's www.journeyintheword.org. Thanks again for listening. We hope you'll tune in for our next episode as we continue our Journey in the Word.